What you're about to hear was aired on Planet Philadelphia, environmental radio show on Germantown Community Radio, 92.9 FM, WGGTLP in Philadelphia, and on gtownradio.com. Hi, everyone. I'm Kay Wood, the host of Planet Philadelphia. Linda Rosenwein, our assistant producer reporter, is here with me. And today we're on a call with Alex Baumstein. He's with the Clean Air Council. And hi, Alex, thank you so much for speaking with Linda and myself today. Thank you so much for having me on. We wanted to contact you and the Clean Air Council about some issues in the law around our air these days. But before we get into stuff, could you tell the listeners a little bit about your background? Sure thing. I'm director of litigation with Clean Air Council. I've been at the council for about seven years. Before that, I was a commercial litigator at the firm that was then known as Pepper Hamilton in Philadelphia. And uh, that was starting in 2007. Just for those of our listeners who don't know, tell us what the Clean Air Council is and what it does. Clean Air Council has been around since 1967. It was founded by the regional lung associations at the time, although it hasn't been associated with the lung associations for a few decades. Uh, We're an environmental organization that works through advocacy, education, uh, interaction with government agencies and legal work to make the mid-Atlantic region and beyond a healthier, cleaner, place to live and and work and to improve the environment. What has changed recently in the legal landscape? (laughs) It's it's a hard question because there are so many places one could begin at. Um, I think a good place to start is actually to talk about what hasn't changed. So at the federal level, there hasn't been a major new environmental law for three decades now. It used to be the case that Congress would, from time to time, pass new laws to improve the environment, to hold pollution down at at lower levels, to clean up our water, et cetera. Um, That stopped happening in the early 90s. A lot of what we have now is action at various state levels, Locally, there are, new, there are changes in the law through court cases, and there are changes on the ground in what's happening in the real world. In Pennsylvania, a lot of that in the last 15 years has revolved around fracking, which became prominent about 15 years ago and has uh, done quite a number on the quality of the air and, and the water in a lot of parts of the state. There's also been changes in the energy industry um, in Pennsylvania as well, including uh, the decline of coal-fired power plants, increases in gas-fired power plants, dramatic increases in renewables in the last few years. So there have been a lot of moving parts um, in some places more than others. So right now we have uh, Reggie, which we hope will be instituted um, 
uh, although there probably are going to be court cases for uh, about that. How do you see that going forward from a legal point of view? Well, you asked the right person. I was in Harrisburg on Tuesday and Wednesday in one of those court cases, <laughs> um, working to try to defend Reggie, which as many people may know, is the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative. This is a, uh, a very significant step that Pennsylvania is taking to try to clean up our air and, and uh, protect our climate. The Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative is an effort that has been um, moving forward on a state-by-state -state level throughout the Northeast, uh, Northeastern United States. Pennsylvania, if you look at, at a map of the participating states in Reggie, is, is a gap right in the middle. So we're the Keystone State, but we haven't served as that Keystone until very recently, which I'll get to in a second. Um, but broadly speaking, it's an effort that's referred to as cap and invest. So the, uh, the states and the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative as a whole um, sets a a limit essentially on the amount of power plant pollution that can be emitted. And then uh, by setting a, a price for allowances, um, which is basically a right to emit a, a ton of carbon dioxide pollution. Um, and then over time, that amount goes down and uh, emissions from power plants go down. Pennsylvania finally published the regulation that allows us to join Reggie on April 23rd of this year, just less than a month ago. Uh, even before that, there's an effort at the Commonwealth Court, which is one of the appeals courts in the Pennsylvania court system, um, to stop Reggie from going forward, to prevent Pennsylvania from being part of it in order to um, help generally the coal industry. Uh, and there's a second suit filed just in the last couple of weeks. And the Commonwealth Court held a hearing uh, May 10th and 11th in order to decide whether an order should be issued which would stop Pennsylvania from joining Reggie. Uh, no decision has been made as of today, but uh, that could happen sometime in a month or so. How does it look to you? Do you think that Reggie might actually be able to be alive and working? Yes, yes, I do. I think that's very possible. I do think a strong case was put on that it's not only legal and permissible, but also absolutely necessary. And the, the need is to protect people's health and to protect us all from catastrophic climate change. Also, I believe Reggie will bring a lot of money to Pennsylvania. Is that a factor? That's right. And that's the invest part of a cap and invest program like this. So depending on the price of the allowances, which does change over time, the amount of money could, could fluctuate. But we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars that could be used to invest in things which would really run the gamut, but help people throughout Pennsylvania. Another story Linda and I have been following, as a matter of fact, there was an article just today 
uh, about the Justice Department trying to shift environmental justice from being symbolic to more actually taking on cases. And I was wondering if that sort of more active stance of the Justice Department factors in any way into what you're doing. It could. I don't know exactly what will happen. We've seen at different levels, both federally and at the state level, that environmental justice can mean different things to me to different people. At the Pennsylvania state level, it's been, a, I'll say, at times underwhelming uh, way of implementing the uh, Department of Environmental Protection's environmental justice policy. Um, I think what's important to people who live in environmental justice communities is that people are listened to, material changes are made in people's lives. Um, what matters is not so much the rhetoric, not so much statements about what people are going to do, but, you know, reductions in pollution, reductions in the burden of environmental injustices. I think that on the ground, actual changes in people's lives are what people are looking for. So I'm hopeful that that, uh, that flows from the Justice Department's uh, new change. Okay, what, what are some of the general legal issues people are working on regarding air quality these days? Uh, <laughs> if this program were a 100-hour program, I could give you a better... <laughs> better sense of everything that's out there. But maybe I could focus for the moment on things that are happening in Pennsylvania, because I think there's so much going on here that is really indicative of a huge variety of air quality issues. I'll give you some examples. In Philadelphia, uh, there are changes that are happening at the site that used to be the refinery in southwest Philadelphia. And people are working at a grassroots level to try to make sure that continuing operations relating to petrochemicals at the site don't harm people's health from their emissions. And that the redevelopment of the property is done in a way that respects the neighbors that's at a very local grassroots level here in Philadelphia. In other parts of the state, there are proposals to build new power plants, new fossil fuel power plants. And there's a lot of concern in those communities as well about people's health, because these are very large facilities that emit hundreds of thousands and in some cases, millions of tons of pollution every year. Um, that obviously affects people's lives. And there are issues separate from oil and gas um, relating to indoor air quality, uh, which is something that Clean Air Council does some work on, although not as much as outdoor air quality, but can affect people's lives a lot as well. Uh, one example is the science has been developing over the last several years about how when you burn gas in your stove in your kitchen, the emissions from that can be fairly harmful to people's health, especially if the kitchen is not well ventilated. Most kitchens aren't well ventilated for emissions from gas stoves. So 
the, a lot of the frontiers of air quality science and law change based on what we know and what we know is always developing. Another instance is the World Health Organization has recently been lowering the levels of uh, particulate matter pollution that it considers to be a, an acceptable standard for air quality. And the World Health Organization has concluded that air quality and air pollution are the biggest single threat to human health worldwide. So the more we learn about this, the more we have reason for concern about the levels of air pollution that we breathe, even in places where the air quality has been getting better over time. And Pennsylvania's air quality has overall been getting better over time. So that's something that we can be proud of, but we still have a long way to go. You mentioned the World Health Organization. So that sort of data helps you in the cases that are being presented? Yes. Yes, we rely on the best available science from wherever we can find it. We rely on standards that people are setting, not only the World Health Organization, but there's been a recommendation by a body that the EPA works with to lower the national ambient air quality standards for PM 2.5. And again, that's the small, it's called fine particulate matter, like soot and, and other things. Uh, which can be very, very harmful to human health in a variety of ways because the particles are so small that when you breathe them in, the various methods that your uh, respiratory tract has to capture pollution and, and particles aren't able to capture these tiny little particles. They get into your lungs. They're so tiny, they get into your bloodstream from your lungs, and then they get deposited to different organs throughout your body, and they can cause organ damage. So what would be the general legal principles you would use to combat some of this sure. pollution? In Pennsylvania, we have the Air Pollution Control Act. And nationally, we have the Clean Air Act. Those are the two biggest things. There's a lot of law built up around the Clean Air Act and the Air Pollution Control Act. One thing we do in Pennsylvania is if the Department of Environmental Protection is issuing a permit to allow a facility to uh, pollute the air, people are allowed to appeal that permit. And the appeal goes to the Environmental Hearing Board. And then we can argue to the Environmental Hearing Board how that was, if, if this is the case, an illegal action that will harm people. And the Environmental Hearing Board has the ability to reverse that permit or send it back to the agency for them to fix it. So that's one method that we use. You can also petition agencies to improve the rules. And a lot of people do that as well. And there are a variety of other methods. Uh, simply looking in the Pennsylvania Bulletin or elsewhere, sometimes there are notices that there's a proposal that an agency is going to take that's going to take a certain type of action. And there's what's called a public comment period where a member of the public can write in and provide helpful information or analysis indicating that, you know, maybe something about the proposal needs to be changed. And then the agency can take that into consideration and perhaps change something before taking that action. So there are a lot of ways in which we can 
through legal means, through commenting, through taking appeals, sometimes filing cases in courts of common pleas or elsewhere, try to ensure that we're moving forward with air pollution and air quality instead of moving backwards. Pennsylvania has, I believe, uh, an amendment to the Constitution about having clean air and water. Um, do I have that right? Absolutely. Uh, Article 1, Section 27 of the Pennsylvania Constitution. And does that ever come into play in the cases you're doing? It does, and it, that's a very interesting case because Pennsylvania has had this in our Constitution since, I think it was 1971. So it's over 50 years now. However, it hasn't been enforced for most of that time because shortly after Pennsylvanians overwhelmingly approved an amendment to our constitution to protect environmental rights, a court decided that it didn't really mean much. It was more a statement of interest and it would be a very rare case indeed where it would actually mean anything and could change any decisions. Um, that was a decision in a case called Payne versus Kassab. I think that was 1976. So between mid-1970s and 2013, there were no cases that could move forward on the Environmental Rights Amendment in any meaningful way. Um, unlike, for example, everybody knows, you know, there are lots of cases in courts about freedom of speech, freedom of religion, all sorts of other rights that people have, but environmental rights were, were not given the same level of power that they should have. That changed with a, with a decision by the Pennsylvania Supreme Court called Robinson Township in 2013, which is the first time that that was challenged at the level of the highest court. And then that was that decision was further strengthened by a later decision called Pennsylvania Environmental Defense Foundation, that is, uh, which completely overturned the Payne versus Kassab decision. And now there are a lot of cases in which there are challenges under the Environmental Rights Amendment, which has two prongs. The first prong is a protection of people's individual rights to clean air, clean water, other aspects of a healthy environment. And the second piece of the Environmental Rights Amendment is that Pennsylvania's public natural resources are in trust. And the public is the beneficiary of that trust. And the government is the trustee and it needs to maintain those natural resources and not degrade them. So I guess for the first time they're actually being asked to fulfill this role as a trust? Absolutely. First time that there's an ability of people to make that argument, not have that argument be cut off at the knees by the pain decision. Mm -hmm. So that's one area where perhaps there's some successes. Where in general are you having successes in legal cases about air quality? There are a variety of areas in which people are bringing air quality related challenges. I'll tell you about a case that I had a few years ago. It was at the environmental hearing board level. We were appealing a permit. And in that case, the company, this was a company that was developing petrochemical facility, and it was asking for permits one small piece at a time to build this facility. And 
we brought an appeal and one of the challenges that we had to the permit was that these little permits are really for one project and they should be considered together rather than piecemeal. And the result of them being considered piecemeal is that you don't hit certain thresholds for amount of pollution. And when you don't hit those thresholds, less stringent air quality rules apply. So they were being able to duck under this threshold by breaking the project into pieces. And in 2019, the Environmental Hearing Board agreed with us and said that these projects, their emissions from them need to be considered together. You can't break it apart to make it look smaller than it is. Um, there are a lot of instances in which when we look at permits and we do our analysis, we have engineers on staff, there are a lot of problems, sometimes small, sometimes large, that could easily be corrected. And sometimes you just need to bring that to people's attention. And it's always a fight, <laughs> right? It's almost always a fight because companies are very often used to getting their way because they have a lot of money and a lot of resources. And they're willing to throw that around if they don't get what they like. So that often leads agencies to do what the companies want because the agencies are afraid they'll get sued and they don't have the money to defend all these suits from actually enforcing the law. Mm. So where you do have successes, what do you attribute that to? Some of it's luck. <laughs> I'll be honest. <laughs> Some of it's luck. Um, not all judges are the same. That's true, too. You know, it, it, who the judges are, whether they are intent on applying the law as it's written or want to come up with a result that, you know, they want to come up with, it, it really varies. So that's, that matters too. Um, some cases are easier to make than others. Um, sometimes you have evidence and sometimes you lack the evidence you need, even if you're in the right. So there are a lot of factors. And one of the, unfortunately, one of the biggest factors is do you have the resources to, to bring a challenge mm -hmm. and to maintain that challenge and to put the money into making it a good challenge? It's mm -hmm. unfortunate because there are so, so, so many instances in which people are being harmed and in which the law is being broken. And that's why people are being harmed. Companies are polluting more than they're allowed to or damaging people's property. And, uh, you know, who has the money to hire a lawyer and to challenge them? That's the biggest problem is a lack of resources on the side of the people being harmed and an abundance of resources on the side of those doing the harm. What you just said made me think perhaps people should be asking legislators to f form a fund for uh, the public defense, as it were, <laughs> against uh, environmental or other injustices. I think that would be enormously, enormously helpful in remedying some of these injustices. I can't even tell you the number of times I've spoken with people who I wished I could help but you know we can't do everything and and sometimes there's nobody who can help them and people are dying because they are being injured 
by these giant corporations with the power to harm them. And nobody has the ability to fix the problem. And it, it's a tragedy. It is nothing short of a tragedy. I wonder if Reggie gets actually enacted and working, if some of the funds from that could go into that sort of... Well, that would be wonderful. That would be amazing. I think that you were sort of answering one of my questions, which is what are the barriers to success? Um, I guess the biggest one is financial. I don't know if there are other barriers. You talked about different judges, and I guess that also has to do with voting and how people are appointed. Yes. Uh, people need to be aware how important uh, appointments are. 100%. It's, <laughs> I, I won't go into to some of the stories I have, but there are times in which which judge you have is night and day, night and day, about whether you're going to get a fair day in court. Hmm. That's a little disconcerting. So it's less the law than it is, I don't know, the spinning the wheel and which justice you get. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. What else are you working on now? Right now, one of the things besides the, the Reggie cases, one of the things that we've been putting a lot of time on are challenges to uh, air pollution permits for new proposed power plants. And one of the things I've learned in the course of that work is just how strong the renewable industry is right now and how, how much stronger it's getting over time which is really encouraging. So if you think of the energy industry in Pennsylvania as, uh, this is maybe not the most appropriate analogy, but sort of a pipeline like or, or a queue, and there are different energy producers that are lining up to, to hook up to the grid. So renewables are now the largest source of new generation that's waiting to be hooked up to the grid. Um, this is revolutionary. This is such a huge change over how it used to be. Not only the coal industry, not only coal-fired power plants, but gas-fired power plants are not in their heyday anymore. Um, the, the future and the very near-term future is the future of renewables. So that's what we're going to be seeing. I'm very encouraged by that. One thing I've been reading about is that the oil industry and gas industry, they're looking to get into plastics and that there are, I think in Beaver County and a couple other places, plastic crackers, and that there are air quality issues around those. Has that come to your attention? Yes. And in fact, I was one of the lawyers on a case that Clean Air Council and Environmental Integrity Project brought challenging the air quality permit for the cracker plant in, in Beaver County. Um, it's not fully built yet, right? So it's the proposed pollution from that, but it is very, very large. It, this is a huge petrochemical facility and it, it will be a real drag on air quality in the region. And of course, you're right, the oil and gas industry knows that its future is not going to be in generation of electricity and powering cars nearly as much as it has been in the past. And it's trying to find other sources of revenue 
it's hoping that it can just make more and more plastic over time and that'll fill the gap. Obviously, that would be an enormous disaster for Philadelphia, for the entire world, as plastic pollution infiltrates everywhere. It infiltrates the air, the water, it goes into the food chain. I think I heard something like we eat about roughly like a credit card's worth of plastic every week in the food that we eat through tiny, tiny particles of plastic that have broken down and it's polluting all of us. It is very scary and not very well studied at this point. Um, and it's just heading in the wrong direction. So we, we can't let that happen. We need to make sure that the world that we work in, that we, that we live in, is not run on disposable plastic. We did talk with someone about the air quality monitoring projects that various groups in the area uh, have proposed. I think the Clean Air Council also, did they get a grant to do air quality monitoring? Don't know the grant situation with it. However, we do do work on air quality monitoring in Philadelphia. Yeah, and, and I, we actually, we've been developing uh, air quality monitors, our engineers have. Right. So I would think that those projects would help with the legal issues because, as you say, you use whatever data that you can get. They can sometimes, yeah. And really, there's ways that people, just just plain old people, anybody across the state can work on to, to gather evidence to build the science to develop the knowledge to help protect our air. Um, I'll give you just a, a quick example. Sometimes I'll go outside in the morning and, you know, you can smell in the air something's off. It's some sort of scent that shouldn't be there. It's not a natural scent. Sometimes that's not a big deal. Sometimes it can be dangerous. And it's important for people to report things to the Pennsylvania Department of Environmental Protection, to air management services in Philadelphia. Um, if there's a problem, it's very much like the, you know, if you see something, say something. <laughs> if you see something wrong environmentally, say something. If you smell something wrong, if, you know, an odor comes by and, and it starts to give you a headache, that's a problem. That's a health concern. So air quality monitoring through devices is very important. Reporting violations and other concerns is also very important. A lot of times something that a community will know about, an agency that could do something about it might just not know about it at all, or might not think it's a big deal because they've only heard from one person about it. Mm -hmm. So at the, at the very local level, there's things we can do to protect our communities. So I guess we should find the phone numbers and let people know what they are for the places to call. I think that would be a good service. Absolutely. Okay. And actually that kind of backed into the question I was just about to ask, which is what can people do? So <laughs> that was one suggestion. Is there something else? Yeah. You know, I, I think I mentioned before there are commenting opportunities that agencies advertise from time to time. It can be obscure to find those. So at Clean Air Council, we often send out alerts to our members if there's an opportunity to weigh in on a, on a proposal of some sort. 
um, and other environmental groups do that too. Uh, so that's important agencies in particular, if you have a piece of knowledge that the agency might not know about a proposal, that can be very important. That's the kind of thing they like to look at and consider. And, you know, there obviously, in addition, you can call your senator, call your congressperson, call the office of the governor, city council. That's very important too. People in power need to know that those of us in their communities, their constituents care about environmental issues. You know, we, we want to have our kids grow up in a world that's livable. We want to be breathing clean air. We want to drink the water out of our tap and, and for it to be clean and fresh. These are things that are very important to us. And very often, uh, government doesn't pay as much attention to it as it should. And so people can and, and should speak up whenever possible. Is there any other way in which people can find out more? Well, call, call Clean Air Council or write to us. We're always happy to, to talk with people. And we only know what we hear. If we don't have the community in touch with us, you know, we're not doing our job properly. So it's, it's very important to us to be part of the community, to be in touch with folks and to be able to do our best to represent the public interest. You know, that's what we're here for. We're a public interest organization. We're not here for any private interest. We're not here to, to make bank. <laughs> we are here to do what we can to clean up the environment, to protect people's health and to advocate on behalf of those who don't have the billions of dollars that a corporation does um, to advocate for their own interests. We're here for the Davids of the world, not the Goliaths. Okay. Well, thank you so much for talking with us today. Thanks oh, thank so you. much. Have a okay. great rest of your Friday. Yeah, you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you want to know more about Planet Philadelphia, go to planetphiladelphia.com. You could also find out more about other G-Town Radio programming by going to gtownradio.com. I hope you will consider making a small monthly donation to help Planet Philadelphia continue presenting interviews on important underreported environmental topics and exploring their complexities and intersections. Thank you so much for your support. Oh, 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 oh